Hello and welcome to the second episode of 90 Man's new podcast series, The Definitive European Power Rankings. I'm Jack Gallagher, your host, and with me, as always, is Sean Walsh. How are you, Sean? What's the crack? Yeah, good. You said your name in a really, really Irish way there. I'd never actually heard you say your own name before. Gallagher. Gallagher? Gallagher? Gallagher. Gallagher. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll put it on for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Gallagher. I think those people do. I think those people do do the hard... The hard G, I never say the hard G. I don't know I if that's just an English well, thing. When I, was, when I was a kid, when, I'm, um, when I was like two, three years old, one of my best friends was called Sean Gallagher. And I actually did say it like that, I think. So it's he weird sounds hyper Irish. <laughs> <laughs> did you spend, do you spend most of your childhood in Ireland, Sean, that I didn't know about? <laughs> I do have a very Irish name, to be fair. You do? You have a very uh, comedic name as well. <laughs> oh, Known no, comedian. We're not going down that road. <laughs> So, Sean, what's how how's things been going? How was your week so far, and what's the plans this weekend? It was good. A lot, a lot of football. I tell you that. Uh, I got to see Spurs completely collapse against Bournemouth on Saturday. Always enjoyable. Um, yeah. One of those. I I think if anyone hasn't watched it, go back and watch the last ten fifteen minutes of this game. It's complete chaos. Harry Kane is. You know, you know, people joke about Kane plays as a midfielder. He was genuinely playing as a midfielder for the last 10, 15 minutes with Hoiberg to there in the middle with him. And then a front four of Kulazewski, Danjuma, Son and Richarlison. And it was just complete nonsense. And Spurs really should have saw it out and Bournemouth hit him on the counter. But at the same time, Bournemouth deserved it. This week I'm going to, I'm really looking forward this week. I got Ivan Tony against Ollie Watkins, Brentford v Villa. I'm really looking forward to going to see that. Yeah, that's you were saying we were chatting about this in the office yesterday. That's mm. Ollie Watkins' first game at the G Tech, which is it just, is. Man, it I is. couldn't believe that when you said it. First game in front of home Brentford fans since pre pandemic. So I think it's gonna be quite emotional. He's very much a beloved figure by everyone at the club. They don't see his kind of exit as like anything better, is the complete opposite. It allowed him to go and spread his wings. He did so much good for the club and in the community. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. And it'll be really interesting to see how he does in his duels against Tony because it's always they're on a similar kind of level now, and we'll, I think we'll talk a bit more about Aston Villa later. But that's a really fascinating set of strikers that England have got there. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And yeah, so will we will we kick off the other rankings, Sean? I think we should. Right, let's do it. Let's do it. So we'll start off this week because it's our second episode. We have some teams who dropped out of the rankings this week through uh, rather terrible results, particularly for one of them. There's a lot of terrible results. Uh, a lot of terrible results. We were, <laughs> so full, full disclosure, we were doing the rankings yesterday um, in the office and we were looking through teams and we were like, okay, so how's this team got on? Like, okay, they've lost. How's this team done that was in the rankings last week? Okay, they've lost as well. And some other teams uh, drew games in really mm. boring and embarrassing fashion, which we'll talk about quite soon. School. <laughs> but before, before we do that... Um, out of the rankings this week is Villarreal. They had a good run of one week in the rankings. <laughs> and I guess it might be the first time they've been in the rankings maybe ever because um, we run the uh, series on the website as well. We've run the series on the website for the last five years or so. And yeah, not 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 a team who's been in it a lot and may not be again after losing the Real Valladolid at the weekend. Uh, they ended their run of five wins in six was that defeat and it was their first loss since I want to say mid-February I think they lost the Osasuna back in mid-Feb that was the last time they lost the game 
and also dropping out as well is one who may be back in next week is Newcastle United because of their loss to a team who have shot up the rankings this week, uh, which we'll talk about very soon. Uh, so, Sean, in at number 10 then this week and down quite a few spots after that disappointing and boring draw that I was chatting about there now. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Number 10, we've got Barcelona, who I had the very displeasure of having to watch on Sunday. Um, they were away at Hatafe. Um, the commentators just made a big deal about how they grew the length of the grass on the, on the pitch to the absolute maximum that could be allowed. I don't know if you remember, Jack. Uh, I think Milan did this um, a few years ago against Arsenal because they were like really scared that Arsenal, there was Arsenal Wenger's Arsenal, they were going to come and just kind of pop them about the pitch. And Milan were like, no, we're not going to let you do that, actually. I think I think there might have been the last 16 tie where Milan won 4 0. So. Yeah, it worked. You know, it's, a it worked. That, it's a tactic that works, yeah, apparently. Yeah, and it worked this weekend for Qatar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah, like um, I think Barcelona are in pure cruise control mode. The uh, the title is theirs, and it will take a collapse of monumental proportions to lose. Um, they didn't really seem too intense. They had a couple of decent chances. I think the best chance they had was to Stegen, who kept his 22nd La Liga clean sheet of the season, which is insane. Unbelievable. We talked about it last week. Like that's, they should be looking to break these defensive records. But he took a really long goal kick. Lewandowski does a really kind of clever dummy where he goes to head the ball, but he just kind of leaves it, spins the defender, and Rafinha's running in behind. He's one on one, and he somehow hits the post and it comes back off the post. And Alejandro Balde, who's playing this game at left wing because they don't have any left wingers anymore, um, comes back in as well, hits the same post at the same spot, and. You just kind of knew from there, isn't it? It's, you know, you're not scoring Barca. It's fine. Just try and preserve that clean sheet record, you know? Yeah, when well, it's not your day, it's not your day. And I remember um, because you were, uh, so we were both uh, on editorial duty on Sunday. And I think mm. I was watching the Man United game while you were watching this game. And yeah, the, the message from you in our Slack chat, our workshop <laughs> chat, you were so unenthused here like this is well, the, no, the highlight of the game the highlight of the game actually was Gavi getting booked after about 30 seconds for a cynical foul I like I like that Gavi's becoming this player uh, like it's, he's, it's he's a lovely player on these. the ball and stuff yeah. yeah he's got a bit of grit as well about him which I do really really like it's kind of exploded out of him since the last few El Clasicos when he's kind of got <laughs> hyper stuck in and the Barcelona fans have loved it and he's just like okay I'm going to do this all the time now but yeah, yeah, when you were when you were chatting about that game, I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to check the Barca lineup because I know they have quite a lot of injuries. And then I seen that um, they were playing essentially two left backs. I was like, okay, they are yeah. really really gunning for this <laughs> this clean sheet record here. <laughs> <laughs> They'll both yeah, keep they... not to play the role as the winger. I'll tell you that it definitely. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it. They're they're very much like um, they remind me of the Man United team right now, where their starting eleven's great, but. Any player is injured, and the player that comes in makes that team look really, really, really rough. Like their midfield yeah. was like Frank Kessie coming into the midfield for Pedri, uh, Alejandro Balde coming in at left mid, at left wing. Sorry, where he doesn't play, and he looked. He's he's a really, really talented fullback, but he's not a winger, so he's not he's not that sort of player. And yeah, it's just that's been kind of the issue for them, and some of these. Like games this season in particular, the ones against United when they had a couple of injuries at that time, you know, their team just the, the levels drop off quite significantly when any player drops out. So moving forward, that looks like what they're gonna to have to address is 
signing some players so that it doesn't look embarrassing when any player is injured. <laughs> yeah. Um, we talked about it. Did we talk about it on the pod last week or just in general? The, that Barcelona and Man United Europa League tie a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Really, really high quality, but both of them were close to full strength. And then you're right. You just you strip them down to kind of the, the bare parts and it's like, okay, there's still a bit of a rebuild we need to do here. Yeah, it's like, okay, Fred, so I actually yeah, from my <laughs> Yeah, there's still a few cloggers here. Okay, we need to... Let's just get to the summer, boys. But you can see, <laughs> yeah, you can see Barca going in the right direction. Um, the Xavi, clearly... I didn't think that... I thought that was quite a kind of a lazy appointment at the time. But, you know, fair enough. He's going to win La Liga. Can't argue with that. They haven't won La Liga in four years, which is... That's a long time by Barcelona standards. It's probably more like 40 years. So, you know, that's the first step. Getting back yeah. on the ladder. Then next year... To, target at least getting out of the Champions League group stage. Yeah, or the Segunda Liga, depending on how this uh, <laughs> this <laughs> goes. Who knows you what's know, going to happen, you know? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, so, in at number nine, Sean, we have a new entry this week. Yes, and it's a rather rogue one. Very uh, very hipster of us, um, I must say. And it's Sean, it's Feyenoord. It is Feyenoord. Feyenoord deserved of their placing in this rankings. Um, they have been on a complete tear in the Eredivisie. They're on the verge of winning their first Dutch title since 2017. They are also they have one foot in the semi-finals of the Europa League as well. They beat Jose Mourinho's Roma one um, 0 at De Keep last week. Uh, it was almost like a role reversal of their Conference League final last year, where final dominated. They just couldn't score the goals. Agnola scored the winner for Roma. This was the opposite. Roma missed a penalty in the first half. Final scored a goal just after the break and they just kind of clung on. So I think that was quite, you know, they showed that they can do both. Because when you're in European competition, you need to be able to win without the ball. You need to be able to control matches without the ball. And I think Final did a pretty good job of that. Whether they can go to the Stadio Olimpico and do the same, I don't know because it does feel like Mourinho's Roma just managed to turn away these ties when they look like they're dead and buried. They have quite a knack, a knack of coming back. They've done it already in the Europa League this year. They did it a lot in the Conference League last year. So if Final can get through that, that is a real kind of testament to who they are. Their manager, Arna Slot, uh, we reported earlier this week on 90min.com that Spurs really want to talk to him about the manager's job. That he's not he's not their top target, but he's one that's definitely in the consideration in their thinking. His good work at Final hasn't gone unnoticed. And I do know a Final fan, actually, and he was saying that this is kind of that's the kind of appointment that Spurs need. It's very Ten Hag-ish, but not kind of the same, not exactly the same, but in a similar kind of ballpark. And he thinks that that would be a good appointment for Spurs. So I'd be interested to see what he could do. Yeah, I think it's kind of the level of manager that Tottenham should be looking for. I think the those kind of like massive names haven't worked at Spurs since Pochettino. Yeah, yeah. Didn't work. Mourinho didn't work. Like, going and getting who um, we report is probably the main target right now is Luis Enrique. Going and getting Humphreys, like, you're oh, retreading yeah. steps that didn't work before. <laughs> Whereas, with Arnie Slot, he's a bit more like a, a Martin Yule, a Pochettino type appointment of a manager who's um, done a decent job at um, no disrespect to Eredivisie or anything, but a slightly lower level than what Tottenham are, and it is a step up for him in his career. And yeah, I think the main thing that's kind of really impressed me with Feyenoord uh, this season and recently has just been, there's been so much turnover at that team player-wise. When you look at their, I think we were looking at the Conference League 11s yesterday, so we were the Roma yeah, yeah. Feyenoord teams and you had Reese Nelson and Luis Sinistera, who's now at Leeds and stuff, all starting that game. And 
it feels like that whole attacking lineup has completely changed this season. And despite that, they've actually kind of got better. So they have and actually improved. Yeah. And that's a massive testament to Arnie Slot and and working with new players and his ability to get more and out of new players quickly, which is something that Tottenham have really, really struggled with with signings over the past few years. You look at yeah. what, well, like a Dombele yeah. is a big example of it. And, <laughs> you know, like, there's Another a lot of players there. Tuesday night. <laughs> God, he was dire. We'll talk about it later, but my God, he was bad. My God. But yeah, it's just like, I think I think he's the sort of manager who can maybe get a wee bit more out of the, the Tottenham players than uh, like these big, big name managers can get. And I, I feel like Spurs need a manager who's not coming in and feeling like he's doing Tottenham a favour. It'll yeah, feel exactly. a wee bit more the other way around where it's like, mm. okay, Arnie Slot's coming up a level and he'll do a lot to uh, make that opportunity count. So yeah, they're, they're definitely, they've done really, really well this season. They've, I think they've won the last like six or seven games on the bounce in their division. They've been brilliant recently mm. and I think um, whether or not they stay in the rankings is just totally dependent on tonight's game. If, like you said, they can go to the Stadio Olympico and put in that performance. I would be um, so impressed, it, honestly. It would be such a huge yeah. achievement, I think. Yeah, it's going to be such a tricky game for them. So that's because, like you said, like Roma have had a knack of coming back under Mourinho, and even not even just um, in games, but just in general form. Like uh, this time last month, Roma looked out of everything. So he did essentially, and <laughs> they've been able to claw back and find some form recently. So they have. So it's going to be a really interesting game. That one, probably one of the picks of the bunch in the Europa League fixtures on Thursday night. So it is. Mm, absolutely. And you, you was mentioning there about slot, you know, Spurs needing to hire someone who, you know, their stock is rising, they're on the way up rather than the way down. I think the next manager we're going to talk about, Jack, that, that's someone that fits the bill. I know he was a bit overly enthusiastic with some of his actions actually at Spurs um, a couple of weeks ago, but I'm still a big fan of him. He's still in my top tier of candidates who I'd want to consider. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about Roberto De Zerbi and Brighton at number eight? Yeah, new well a re-entry at number eight. Re-entry, yeah. Brighton. Yeah. And they're back in because they saw off um can we say relegation threat in Chelsea or will we just call them <laughs> Chelsea? I don't know. We'll we'll see how the next few weeks goes. Uh but they yeah, they beat them at the weekend and as expected, and this is why Brighton have been one of the uh the funner teams to watch in Europe this season is they completely dominated that game at Stamford Bridge and going into that game, we looked at those two teams and how they performed this season. That was fully expected. They were exceptional again. They're, they're up to seventh in the league. Uh, bar that defeat, that freakish defeat they taught them a few weeks ago. They haven't actually lost a game in the league since the middle of February. And yeah, like, like they're coming into this game at the weekend against uh, Man United at Wembley, FA Cup semi-final. I have a sneaky feeling that they'll actually win that game. I think it United, feels like they're coming as equals. They do, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know, I know, United have like more big match experience and have that Carabao Cup final under their belts and have winners in that team like Casemiro, who've been there and done it at every level. And Brighton don't, but a few injuries for United. They have a few suspensions, and I know Brighton have a few injury as well. Like sadly, Evan Ferguson doesn't look to be fit for the game, so Danny mm-hmm. Welbeck will be starting up front, but. I think that Brighton team is just such a well-oiled machine that unlike um, what we were saying about Barcelona and unlike what we've been saying about Man United as well, is when they have injuries, it feels quite easy to just 
supplement with another player from the bench. They kind of know the system. They know the role in the team. It's why you've seen um, when a player's left the club, like uh, Leandro Trossard, uh, Matoma's come in and been brilliant because he's mm. he knows that role and has been at the club for a while and has knows the processes and how they play that role. So, yeah, I have a sneaky feeling they'll actually win that game and make the final, and that'd be an incredible achievement and a deserving achievement for this season because, look, it looks like they'll probably finish about sixth or seventh in the league, which is super impressive. But it, it, I think they're probably deserving of a big day out at Wembley in an FA Cup final. Um, they probably get beaten about 20 0 by the team who have <laughs> top of the rankings this week. You look like they can beat everyone 20 0. You say that. I do think that I think that Brighton would be quite a interesting matchup for Man City. Um I think I think Man City won three one at the end earlier this season, but it was one of the Zerbi's first games. And I think Brighton had the more possession there. And one of the goals they conceded was a kind of a complete individual error from I think it was Adam Webster. They probably have like a real belief they can go into these big games, they can win. They they beat Liverpool, what was it, twice in a few weeks earlier this year? Um they have all these other kind of big scalps. It's a, you're right, it's a miracle that Spurs beat them the other week. If, I don't know how I came through that, but everything at Brighton, it feels like Deserby's taken them to like another level because you're right, like everyone can come in, they can all do these different jobs, they're they're ready and waiting to do it. It feels like the whole way across the club. Chelsea come in and poach Graham Potter, the manager. We're just going to upgrade him. We're going to do better. Better in both boxes, better between both boxes. Chelsea come in and buy like 17 of their like backroom staff and directors of football, all that stuff. Doesn't matter. They're going to cause a mess there and we're going to be better. We're just going to comp- continue unearthing these gems, integrating them to the first team. They are the model club. And you're right. It would be really, really nice story if the model club got some kind of dues, whether that is winning a trophy, getting to Europe. Just think about it. Like Brighton in Europe, that's be really cool. And I think they would do really, really well in a Europa League or a Conference well, yeah. League. I think they could get, I think, like, Conference League, you would probably go on the next season thinking they were probably favourites for that. Yeah. And then Europa League-wise, yeah. like, I think there'll be four or five better teams in the, in the Europa League next season. Surely surely this this season is kind of changing the way that people look at Brighton as well, because, because it was before it was, oh, they play this nice football, they help young players and all this stuff. I think the young players thing still remains, but ultimately people can kind of fulfill like ambitions to play in Europe at Brighton. Brighton and Brighton aren't a club that's particularly strapped for cash as well. I think they kind of they got under the radar that they have quite a big net spend since they've been promoted. So you factor in European football on top of that, the kind of player that Brighton can bring in, they have a World Cup winning on their books already. It's gonna change. It's gonna we're gonna see kind of the expansion of Brighton in that sense. Yeah. And one of the big things coming out of the summer, maybe the lure of um Europa League football might be enough to keep Alex McAllister. I know there's a lot of talk around him, uh, but for how much the Brighton will be demanding, um, you know, they could end up keeping him in on the books. And like like you said, like that lure of um, European football can be massive for all their players. They go out and make big signings. You look at West Ham in the summer, I know it didn't exactly go to plan a lot of those signings, but they went out and signed big-name players like Lucas Paqueta and yeah. Skamaka was very highly touted as well in the summer. And that lure isn't from West Ham's history or anything, with which 
they don't have a whole lot of. I'm sorry, West Ham fans. <laughs> you know, we can't really count the World Cup, so we can't like <laughs> we can't. It's not on the honors list of Wikipedia. It doesn't really count. Um, but yeah, it's it's having that lure, and also I think um, one thing that we've seen in recent seasons uh, in general in football has been the lure of trying to play attractive football, and players uh, really, really seem to now buy in the um, style of play and a manager as opposed to um, going to a club who I think the, the prime example can be like uh, a Mourinho team. Like I think like. Players yeah. aren't that enthused anymore about uh, renewal teams, and that's why he's his stock has dropped over the past few years because that state of management doesn't really work anymore as much. Whereas, like a a person like Deserbi, who has a philosophy and is very passionate about it, in the same way like a Pep Guardiola and all this, that's the sort of manager that uh, players want to play for. And the fact that Brighton have one of those managers can be a massive lure in the summer for those players that they'll be going out and trying to sign. And yeah, it'd great! Mm-hmm. It'd be great to see if them getting a couple of. Um, higher leverage players in that team and while also um, continuing their policy of bringing through players like I know um, one of their big problems over the past few seasons has been the inability to struggle to score goals and with Evan Ferguson coming through it looks like that problem could be fixed for quite a few seasons because I I can't see him leaving for at least two or three seasons. He's very He's young. at the perfect place right now. Yes, he, he couldn't be at a better place. And that that team's designed for a striker to score goals. So he can, he can there and mature and play high-quality football and high-leverage football at that football club. And that's exactly what that player that kind of needs. And yeah, he's going to be great. He needs that experience going on the, um, the World Cup with Ireland and the World Cup final with Ireland as well. It'd be great for him to be playing for Brighton and then have some big game experience for when Ireland need him yeah. when they beat France in the World Cup final at some stage. Wow, Hamble. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> oh, VAR we, wasn't working today, actually. Yeah, yeah they, they turned it off for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> we can dream. <laughs> a, man, a man can dream, Sean. A man can dream. <laughs> yeah, if Brighton gets to the Europa League, I'm sure that can happen as well. Yeah, yeah. So, Sean, and we'll stay in the Premier League for number seven. And another team who put in quite an impressive performance at the weekend, uh, it's Aston Villa again. For me, definitely probably the most impressive performance in the Unai Emery era. They completely dismantled a really informed Newcastle side. A Newcastle side will high up these rankings when we did them last week. And they just made them look like mincemeat. I mentioned the a couple of weeks ago at Brentford, um, Newcastle had a bit of a bad first half and they found a way to recover and find solutions. Villa made sure they couldn't get to that stage. Villa got one goal in the first half. It was a really well-worked goal. You know, Watkins knocks it down for Jacob Ramsey to lash in. His stock's really high again. That's really nice to see because I think with Ramsey, you know, you, you sometimes get these mid-table players who oh, they are, oh, they, look, they look nice. Uh, they'd be nice in a big team and then they kind of fade or they don't improve but Jacob Ramsey seems to have really kind of excelled under Emery as well. And then Watkins completely just steals the show on his own in the second half. You know, he's doing everything. He's running the channels. He's just being a menace wherever the hell he is. He is the kind of complete centre forward that people thought he could become. And, you know, as someone who's watched his development from young, you didn't think that you think he would be a good player, but this kind of level, you just think, just incredible. And we did run a report on Nightman this week that he is close to extending his contract to Aston Villa, which is good for them. Um, 
you imagine that they one of them or Brighton will be in Europe next season. That'd be a really cool story. And that you know, stock is trending upwards. You got to, you just got to carry that into the last few weeks of the season. You got to get that spot. And I think did we look up the fixtures yesterday? I think they might have Brighton late on the season. It might be the last day actually. I think it is the last day of the season. Think, that they're yeah, playing Brighton. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah, I was actually I was looking at um, speaking of league table. I was looking at the league table when Unai got the job. Oh, it's insane, um, isn't it? Mad. He, he, they were what fourth bottom. They had nine points, and since he's taken over, they've got well, they're on fifty points now. So, yeah, he's got like that's an insane. <laughs> the right manager could change everything. Around. I know it just shows you, and um, the right manager is really um, changed Ollie Watkins' career in a lot of ways because, yeah. like under Stephen Gerrard, he was in and out of the team, sometimes playing out wide and stuff. And since Emirates come in, um, he's completely focused on trying to. Uh, get goals out of Ollie Watkins. They seem to constantly try to find him, uh, running him behind. They seem to constantly try to get the ball into the box as quick as possible for him. And yeah, and I think that confidence the manager has in Ollie Watkins is then bred confidence in Watkins himself, where he just looks like a completely different player. He looks like he's willing to try things. He's constantly making the runs, whereas before he made a shade away at times and. Yeah, you can see like his overall game has just gone to a different level. I was so impressed with um like you were mentioning Jacob Ramsey. Jacob Ramsey's first goal when Ollie Watkins dropped off the back post was up in between two centre halves and yeah, was able yeah. to win the header and knock it down perfectly for the goal. And it's sides of his game that he's now showing that you wouldn't have ever expected him to be able to show. He's able to go up against uh, Newcastle, who have one of the meanest defences in Europe this season. Um, he's able to go up toe-to-toe with those players and compete physically and then also has the quality to finish as well. And it, It's a mad comparison to make, but got such um, Jared Muller vibes from that goalie score for the, <laughs> when the ball came in and he, he took a touch and turned. It was exactly like the goal Muller scored in the 1974 final. And I was mm. like, that that was exactly like that goal. And I was like, oh my God, like in my head, I've just compared... Ollie Watkins to Gerd Muller. <laughs> and then I've done Ollie a lot Watkins of podcasts Miller? as well. Podcast exclusive? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Ollie Watkins scored more Premier League goals than Gerd Muller ever has. So Exactly, you know. Yeah. 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 And he's actually he's scored more than any other English player this year so far. Yeah. Scored more than Hurricane and also assisted more goals than Hurricane as well, which is yeah. quite a surprise. I think he has three assists and Kane has one or two, so he does. So, mm. Yeah, it's just been super impressive, and I hope it continues because they have been one of the more enjoyable teams to watch in the league, probably along with Brighton. Um, Stories team well. that, Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, yeah, they've just been such a joy to watch, and I do I do really hope that both um, get in the, the Europa League at least next season. It will be an incredible achievement for both to do it, and with the way they're trending upwards and the way teams like Tottenham are trending downwards and how difficult a run in teams like Tottenham have – it's entirely yeah. possible, so it is for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, you just mentioned there on Watkins, um, just all these different things that he can do. It felt like, you know, he, he arrived at Brentford from Exeter. He was a number 10. Uh, Brentford didn't really play with his style number 10 at the time, so he played a lot on the wing, on both wings. And then his last year at Griffin Park, um, they <laughs> ironically sold leading striker Neil Mope for <laughs> a lot of money. And Thomas Frank and the kind of scouting teams decided we're going to 
just turn Watkins into a pure number nine instead and run with that. And he exploded. Um, he came, he was the second top scorer in the championship that year. It was probably the in terms of just pure attacking, it was the best attacking team that Brentford have really had in the last ten years. And he was a big part of that. It feels like he's putting all these things together finally under a competent coach, a good coach, an experienced coach to lead his team into a top six place. So, Sean, we'll move away from the Premier League for a wee while now. We've had a lot of our, a lot of Premier League chat there. Uh, so, in at number six, we have Atletico Madrid, who are up to two this week because of their seventh one in a row in La Liga. And just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep motoring on. And they're doing that really because of Griezmann uh, turning back into a player that he was all those years ago. He scored two at the weekend against Almera, who aren't a great team by any stretch of the imagination. But <laughs> the goals count. They all count. They all count. Well, they they uh, made a lot of chances as well. It wasn't as if it was like a really close game. Yeah, yeah. They really, a little bit. Yeah, 100%. And they were very, very impressive. And yeah, Griezmann's just been brilliant. And I, I thought it was really interesting. I've seen some quotes from him after the game uh, where he said uh, when he returned to Athletic Madrid, he said he had to make himself small because of... Um, he thought that the fans wouldn't like him anymore just because of how the move to Barcelona came about. I know there were some contract issues and he was trying, he really, really actively forced that move. And then when he went there, um, it just didn't work out for whatever reason. Tactically. Before he, the year before he left, he did like a LeBron the decision movie as well. That's right. I've which was just like that. really weird. Like, like no one from Atletico or Barcelona were impressed by it. It's just like, yeah, I forgot about that. That was not like what? Yeah. Like, oh, dear. He's too back yeah. on the American sports. So yes, that's it. It is, but the, the funny thing is, like everyone, like the whole of the 2010s was people saying the stain on LeBron James's resume was that he made that documentary and Griezmann's like, oh yeah, I need a bit of that, you know. That's what I need. <laughs> that's what's missing from the mantelpiece. <laughs> Hopefully, dear, he sacked his PR people after that because that was. An I think he is his disaster. own PR person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like he's. Um, yeah, I think like there's there's a lot of growth there. Um, personally, I think from the person he was at that point to where he is now. Yeah. Um, yeah like I said, those quotes, like he said, he had to make himself small, um, which seems like he had to kind of. He knew that he had to reprove himself to like Madrid. He knew he had to reprove himself, uh, not only the uh, Simeone but also to the fans and try to win back the fans. And he's done that by just hard work like he's become like an exceptionally hard working player on the pitch and showing the graft and stuff that he perhaps didn't really have to show as much when he was a bit younger and was a bit quicker and behind and stuff he could kind of get yeah. away with um floating around for a while in games uh, whereas now he's really redogged he's seen it at the world cup when he played deeper and now up front with Murata, they have two really hard working players up there who are willing to run who have a bit of quality as well. Griezmann a lot more than Murata, all things considered. <laughs> but yeah, it's just been it's been great to see, and it's it's great to have. I think for a few years there, it felt like it was just going to be Real Madrid for a long time, uh, mm. due to Barcelona's financial issues and Atletico Madrid seemingly kind of dropping off, and that um, that kind of idea that that style of football that Diego Simeone was playing, the style of football that Jose Mourinho was playing, that more defensive, compact play uh, couldn't work anymore. But unlike uh, Mourinho and stuff, I think Simeone's kind of opened up a wee bit more this season. And they've started to score goals, and they've started to score more goals than 
in in games. I think the one we brought up last week was he beat Sevilla six one. Like if that mm-hmm. doesn't tell you that they've become a more expansive football team, like I don't know what will. And it and it's fun and interesting that they've done that by retrusting Griezmann and burning off Jao Felix, who was supposed to be the new Griezmann. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think I think there was an underestimation there of just how good Griezmann was and how impossible it is to find a player um, who can be like a top three, top five player in the world. It's mm. very, very difficult to do that. It's very difficult to replace those players when you're a club like Atletico Madrid, when you're not a Man City or a PSG with that type of money. So yeah, it's good to see them back and hopefully they can um, cause a bit of a ruckus again in the Champions League next season. They're, they were always very fun in the Champions League. It felt like... They are, yeah. yeah. They, the great disruptors. Yeah. They are, yeah, and it was like it never felt like, yeah, they were they never played like that great football, like really passing, moving, sweeping football or anything. But their games were always such high intensity, so yeah, they were, which exactly is great, that. and that's what you need in those big Champions League games. Um, yeah, so in at number six, and they'll probably make their way on up the rankings. I, I think they are going to finish the season quite strongly, and no distractions. Um, they'll be playing one game a week and probably winning it too. Yeah, and just to quickly touch on Griezmann, I do think maybe he deserves a little bit more credit because you think about footballers, particularly footballers have been good for a long time, kind of the way that they progress through their lives, you know, from, they're rich from when they're teenagers, from when they're kids, basically. They're notorious, they're famous, they have, they're in the in this kind of fishbowl the whole time and the world's kind of poking at them. It's very easy, I think, for them to kind of be stubborn and to just not think, I don't need to change, I don't need to do anything differently. And if, if anything, Griezmann was going the wrong way a lot of the time towards the end of his first spell at Atletico and then when he made the move to Barca, which I understand why he did it. I don't think it made a lot of sense from a footballing perspective. I thought I thought that staying at Atletico probably would have been better. And I don't understand why Barcelona spent so much money to bring in a player that didn't really ever fit the, the way that they played and particularly when they had Lionel Messi. It, just, it made no sense. So I think for kind of Griezmann to eat this humble pie, reinvent himself. You know, he was basically playing as a number eight at the World Cup with France. Just and to do that. And probably the best midfielder at the tournament as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just to kind of have that kind of humility, I think is it's quite a change in character because before he was he was kind of bemoaning he didn't win the Ballon d'Or or, you know, he didn't get enough credit with France or Atletico should have won the Champions League, all these different things. And he's managed to kind of cop, compartmentalise it and focus on the now. And Atletico are building a solid base to to go again next season because you always get sometimes when Atletico lose a few games or if they go out of Europe early, you get all the talk about oh is this the end of Simeone? Is he finally going to go? Is he going to go somewhere else? I, I think him as well to kind of reinvent in style when you've been you've been this pigeonholed defensive team for so long who play with intensity but aren't great to watch sometimes to continue that evolution without actually having gone anywhere. You know, a lot of managers will change depending on the place they go. For Simeone to keep changing when he's at this one club, the club that kind of the club is him, you know, it takes it takes a lot of kind of self reflection to do that. It would be very easy to not do it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And yeah, he's been. It's great to see like from him and Griezmann that maturity. I think that the one that I would compare Griezmann to, and I think um, the one who was quite neck and neck with him for a while in terms of the best players in the world, um, in behind Messi and Ronaldo, obviously, uh, mm-hmm. was Neymar. And they're around the same age. And when you see the trajectory of both players, I think 
Griezmann could have very easily went to what Neymar's kind of become the past few years, kind of just floating along, doesn't seem to have as much of an interest in the game could, as he used to could have. Could have just gone to PSG stuff. at any point and just like just coasted 100%. his whole career, really. Yeah, yeah. And that's I think that's shown like that ability for him to like look at himself in the mirror and kind of actively decide what he wants to do for the rest of his career and what sort of footballer and person he wants to be. It's very, very impressive to be able to do that. And I know a lot of players haven't been able to do that. And a lot of players who have uh, made that big jump to Barcelona for a lot of money at around that time have kind of petered away after that per spell. I think the main yeah. ones continue. We, we just talked about Aston Villa. Aston Villa are doing this. <laughs> Coutinho's and, a villa. I completely forgot. <laughs> yeah, Coutinho's nowhere to be seen. <laughs> yeah. You completely forget about him and like... Name for name, if you were look, say in 2012, you were to sell, t- say to someone, Aston Villa are going to have Felipe Coutinho. Be like, oh my God, how did that happen? What? Felipe Coutinho at Aston Villa? But yeah, he doesn't even play for them. And it just shows that like he very easily could have went down that way, Griezmann, in the yeah, same way as Coutinho yeah. and Neymar and people like that is. And like you said, so impressive that he didn't do that 100%. And also, um, I'm just, I think we should be on... Because I think Atletico are going to be on this rankings quite a lot uh, from now and then the season. I think we should check in on Mr. Matt Doherty and see if he's how many minutes this week played any football. Uh, <laughs> what do you? Well, how many minutes do you think he played this week? Well, if the over under is 0.5 minutes, I'm going to take the under. Yeah, I think he did right to take the under. He still played yeah. no minutes. <laughs> He's stuck. He's still stuck on twelve minutes of football oh, at uh, Atletico Madrid. Uh, but Matt Doherty, um, we love you. We think you're great. Um, I, I keep working hard and training. Because because it's not a loan. It is literally a six month contract, and then he'll be free to go anywhere he wants. I don't know. <laughs> Does Simeone like him in training? Is he going to bother keeping him, or he's going to come back to England? I don't know. I don't really know other clubs that were too interested in him before when Spurs were trying to offload him. Yeah, it's going to be interesting where he goes. I think he is like kind of. I feel like he has really like two options. He could either go to like a lower mid table Premier League team and maybe be like a bit of a squad type player, or he can just continue this continental journey and just go to like go to like Fiorentina or something like that. Yeah, Fiorentina uh, uh, literally the team that I was thinking just. Uh, <laughs> was just life, yeah, yeah. Lifestyle choice, you know, just go around yeah, traveling these just, great just clubs, enjoy yourself, nice places. Yeah, yeah. that's what. Um, yeah. yeah. I would love to do them in Florence. It'd be great. It'd be, be great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He might as well. Like, why not? Why not? Yeah. His, stock, his stock's just about high enough to go and do that. If I was in his position, I would do it. So, yeah, keep on that continental journey, Matt Doherty. Keep doing it. Yeah. So, Shawnee boy. Number five. We have number five here. And it's a big drop-off, actually. And we were talking about this last week. I feel like um, we were quite nice last week about teams. Um it was our first week, first time talking about all these teams. Uh, the purpose of the power rankings is to show the best teams in Europe. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes these best teams in Europe will drop down from, say, first or second, down way down the rankings. So we see Barcelona dropped way down. And another big drop down uh, is Arsenal this week, uh, down from second place. And I think it's it's pretty justified. So it is considering the fact that in the space of one week, they gave up two, two goal leads. Um, one day Liverpool at Anfield, which is, you know, it's a bit more understandable. But yeah, the one at, the one at West Ham was bad. Like it was bad. There, were, there was a lot they not like about that performance. So there wasn't. 
just did, just did not see that coming. You know, the amount of times that Arsenal have scored early goals this season, it's kind of underpinned their success so far, just running away with the game. But whatever for whatever reason, the last couple of weeks, something's crept into their minds. Um, you said the Liverpool's are understandable. There is no excuse behind throwing away a 2 0 lead at a West Ham side who are really crumbling, who they're right in the mix in that relegation battle. They've got a lot of hard games left as well. You know, if I was a West Ham fan, I'd be quite worried. For Arsenal to completely cry, I don't know where it came from. You know, they were at 2 0, it was fine. Something turns from Partey giving the wall away in the lead up to the penalty. And then the second half just really did not look like scoring that much. And that's really worrying. That's that's worrying in a sense of... I've been worried if Spurs do that. The Spurs are quite useless right now. <laughs> if you're fighting Man City for the title, that is even more concerning. Yeah, yeah. They just... You know, for me, like watching that game, um, I think their general lack of experience in these situations has started to really creep in over the past few weeks. I think the pressure is really starting to show on this yeah, team. And yeah. when you do look through their their squad and also when you look at the manager, there's not a whole lot of uh, Premier League title risk experience, cup no. final experience and stuff. Yeah, they have, they have Jorginho in there. Um, but aside from that, you don't really have that many players who've kind of been there and done that. And when you look back at the January window at the time, I that was, I thought the Jorginho signing was really, really good because of that reason. I was like, okay, what this team's missing, they have a lot of quality, but what they're missing is players who have been there and done that in big situations. And you know, Jorginho's won a lot, won basically everything with Chelsea yeah. and Italy. Um, they probably, looking at their team, they probably did need to go and buy a centre-back who's been there and done that as well because it seems to be that's where the panic has derived from over the past yeah. couple of weeks and not the dig out Rob Holden, but I feel like we should probably dig out Rob Holden. <laughs> like he's, <laughs> he's, been, oh, he's been terrible. And the fact is that, you know, if you're looking to compete against a team like Man City, they won the Premier League, when one of your centre-backs, just the one centre-back gets injured and your replacement is Rob Holden, then you do have a big issue there. You needed someone like a, like a maybe like a Thiago Silva. I know not they're never going to sign Thiago Silva, obviously, but that sort of player. It's one like that, gonna, yeah. Yeah, that veteran leadership in there. He might not be as physically imposing as he used to be, but just someone who can calm things down when things start to go wrong. And that's that's the thing they've really lacked in those games. They've when things have started to go wrong, it felt like the world was caving in on that yeah. Arsenal team. And a big issue, and Arteta's done an incredible job, is not to take away anything that Arteta's done this season, but you have to call a spade a spade sometimes. And the fact is that in the last two games, he's made some kind of strange decisions under the pressure. I think he needed to bring on Jorginho a lot earlier than he did because you could see the struggles in midfield. Um, Rice and Paqueta were completely overrunning uh, the Arsenal midfield party seemed like his head kind of went Xhaka hasn't been great the past couple of weeks as well and they needed someone in there probably at half time to calm things down and just get hold of the ball and just kind of control the pace of the game a bit more and the fact that the Arteta didn't do that and let the kind of pace of the game run away with them and let West Ham be G'd up by a very 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 loud on stadium on Sunday, mm-hmm. in the same way that happened at Anfield last week, um, that's when things really started to uh, come unstuck for Arsenal. Should we wade in on the bottling debate? 
Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Sean, you're a Tottenham fan, so I'll give you um I'll I'll give you the yeah, floor for this to start with. <laughs> I you know what? I obviously coming from this kind of side of the fence where I haven't seen my team win a trophy in hundred million years. Yeah. <laughs> um I don't I I don't like the term bottling unless it is kind of a full thrown you kind of crap your pants kind of performance or like when Liverpool were three 0 up at Crystal Palace with about ten minutes to go and yeah, three, three, that, three. that's a ball that, that, that's, that's a ball. Um the thing that Spurs fans always argue is that when people say that they bottled things, a lot of the time Spurs were not in positions like where they were ahead. It was more that they couldn't didn't have the they couldn't keep pace rather than throwing it away. Then I think the 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 main one would be the twenty the twenty fifteen, sixteen and twenty sixteen, seventeen title races where at no point in those seasons did Spurs leave the table. They've had one chance to go ahead in the table in fifteen sixteen for a couple of hours because they played before Leicester and that was it. That was the only time. Um Arsenal have been ahead pretty much all season now. Yeah, their their much, lead yeah. has been as much as seven, eight points, I think. There is a there is a tweet going around which says they were um, twenty two points clear at Christmas, which is it which isn't true, but I like the <laughs> I like the meme of it. You know, we'll keep extending that gap for it, whatever it's, passing week. It's going to be fifty points next week, so does I think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't believe they threw it away. You know, <laughs> um, I I don't think it's I don't think it's bottling. I think Arsenal put themselves in a good position. I would the the, the nuance I would say is it's not bottling, but it would be such a huge disappointing missed opportunity for Arsenal if they don't go and win the title from here because they've put themselves in this position all season long. And the, t- the title race isn't over. It's like, if they, they, don't even, they don't even need to win at City next week. If they just don't lose and they just beat City's results the rest of the season, that'll be enough. And City have got at least three more games. You imagine four or five if you, when you factor in um, the extra FA Cup and Champions League games that they could have. So it's not over. But my stance to this is it won't. It wouldn't be a bottling. It would be more of a just. Damn, we're not going to get an open window like that for a while, maybe. Yeah, I, I would. I would agree with that. I think um, one one thing that uh, Gary Neville was talking about on Sunday was he was like, okay, well, when you look at that Arsenal team, and if you had said the um, Arsenal fans the third season, you'll finish second this season. They would have <laughs> bet your hand straight, off. Or, straight off. Champions yeah, League again. Oh, class. Yeah, they would have bet your hand off of fourth place, never mind second place. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it is one of those ones is when you have a lead and you've had these big, what have felt like title winning moments. They had yeah, the one against Bournemouth. Yeah. That one against United as well at Emirates felt like a like a team who was going to win the league once at games like that. And the fact that you can still even win games like that and then throw away silly games like against West Ham, who conceded five at Lone Stadium a few weeks ago, not that long ago against Newcastle, and they were two up already. You know, it's not a bottle. It's it's that's too strong a word for what it is. But like you said, it's it would just be a huge disappointment for Arsenal, and it also just feels like if they don't do it this year, who does it within the next four or five years? Really? Yeah. You're kind of at that point. You're waiting on United's new ownership to come in to spend a boatload of money. You're waiting Doesn't on even Newcastle. Get the new ownership anyway. Yeah, yeah, they might get like a so, minority, new minority stakeholder or something like that. Yeah. There, which is what reports are saying now, which would be hellacious for United fans, <laughs> I'm sure. 
uh, yeah they're, they're really enjoying themselves um yeah and you and you at that point you're waiting on newcastle they spend all our money as well and then it's kind of like comes down to that debate of like what what is the game becoming when you're like okay it, this is guitar versus uh where abu dhabi um for the league title in the premier league and yeah, you know right. you know it if arsenal can't do it this year haven't done so much right having appointed the right manager have made really shrewd and smart sign-ins in the window over the summer and stuff and like progressively built this team up and done everything right for them it's not to do it this year it became like okay i don't know if anyone's going to do it anytime soon because man city have just asserted so much dominance with uh a Potential treble this season. I think I've seen the bookies have them down for two D one. They won the treble this year. Not under the radar, yeah. Yeah, could could happen. They, um, but like you said, like one thing that will play in the Arsenal's favour is um, the void in the games that Man City have left to play. Um, Pep talked about it uh, at the end of the game yesterday. He said that the team were exhausted. Um, it was like their fourth Champions League semi final berth in in the last four or five years, and yeah, like those a lot of games, and the fact that they're, yeah, like City have rotated and stuff, but they finally seem to have a starting eleven now, like a team that you know that they're going to play week in week out, and what might hurt them. Well, you got in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially like the teams that they have to play. I know, like Sheffield United, they'll they'll batter Sheffield United the weekend. No harm to Sheffield United, but you know they bat <laughs> they batter Burnley and Burnley. Yeah. yeah. Are a better team. really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, that's an easy game, but then you have the Arsenal game, which seems like it's going to probably decide the third list. And then you also have two legs against Real Madrid and also potentially Champions League final. And I was having a look this morning uh, to see how many games that Man City can potentially play for the rest of the season. And they could potentially play 13 games for the rest yeah. of the season. Whereas I think Got Arsenal much, have seven so they do which is all it's a lot more football for in, in the space of one month so it is so uh in at number four this week um a team that's capitalized on arsenal dropping down the fifth a team that was fifth last week and has moved up the fourth is lazio mm-hmm. and they're up because they won again i know they only beat spezia um they beat them three nil at least they beat them they beat them. That's the main thing. That's, the, that's, the, that's yeah. the lesson of these rankings. Yeah. You know? Just win you have to games. win games. Win games and, and we'll, we'll praise you. Yeah, exactly. Win games and we'll praise you. So, Very easy uh, trade-off, you know. It is. It is. It's not hard. It's not hard. It's, it's just good maps. Um, so Lazio, yeah, beat Spezia 3-0. have to say, I wasn't like massively impressed by Lazio's performance in the game. They could have been 2-0 down within about 15 minutes and then Spezia became Spezia and gave away a penalty in the half hour and then got caught in the break twice and considered an R2. Um, I think the main takeaway from the game um, is the fact that Chiro Immobile scored the penalty um, after what happened to him last week, Sean. I don't know if he yes, heard about his... Yeah. yeah. So uh, for anyone who hasn't heard about it, uh, Chiro was not expected um, to be playing this game, but he came back after uh, crashing his car in the tram in row. Um, the medical report said that he had fractured a rib, but I don't know. I feel like he wouldn't have played if he had actually fractured a rib, so maybe he bruised the rub or something like that. I don't that. know, man. Those penalties won't score themselves. 
They won't. They won't. And he, he and to be fair, like straight after he scored the penalty, just before half time, he missed a blatant open net. So he does, the ball came across. It's, it's a bit high in the air. He just, he's he's walking around holding hold, hold his rib. Like, yeah, oh, like, no, that's too much. That's too much, guys. I think that's got a bad rub. I've got a bad rub. Uh, yeah, but it was an open net. Uh, I think it was Malinkovic Savage crossed it across. Like uh, one of those. Like to be fair, one of those like really nasty crosses, like three yards above the ground. And like, what do you do with it? Do you hit it? Do you volley it? He went for the volley. Instead of volleying it forward, he volleyed it back left. Which understandable, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a great clearance. If it was a center <laughs> half, it was a great clearance. Um, oh. But yeah, he came back um, from that tram crash. Uh, there's some conflicting reports about the tram crash, about whose fault it is. Um, local media said that Immobile told police officers that the tram driver ran a red light, but the tram driver has since um, dispelled that and said that he passed a green tra- green traffic light and Chiro uh, bombed down the road at full speed. So depending <laughs> on what car that is. That Jack be... just did full air quotes for that. For yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like depending on what, what type of car that is, that could be quite fast, but it could be also quite slow. Like, so he could, if he did it in a Lambo, you're maybe talking 200 men there. But if you're talking about that wee tiny new Citroen that's out, that's like the size of one person, <laughs> the the full speed of that's 20 miles an hour. So, you know. He's driving around in a cube. He is. <laughs> that's probably what it is. You would need one for Rome. It's either a cube or a scooter. So, you know, I feel more safe in a cube. So at least you have a roof if it rains. But yeah, uh, like moving forward into the rest of the season, um, like, so Juventus, with the court case, they might get their 15 points back, which will leave them in third place, two points behind Lazio, which seems like it'll put a lot of pressure on Lazio for that second place. But with the way both teams are playing, I just cannot see any world <laughs> in which Juventus uh, go ahead of Lazio um, come the end of the season. Lazio are playing too well. Juventus have been kind of devoid of ideas for quite a long time. And I think they'll also really focus on making sure that they won the Europa League this season, which is very possible. And, you know, they're going into the game um, on Thursday night with a lead. Um, it's not a big lead. Um, they were kind of outplayed last week, as they have been <laughs> a lot this season. Um, sounds, sounds about right. <laughs> sounds like Juventus. But, yeah, I think I think Lazio were pretty safe in second place. Um, I've I seen a lot of people, actually, after the, the Napoli-Milan game, um, saying that, you know, oh, this Napoli defeat might derail their season and stuff, but I, I just I can't see I can't see Lazio going that to that level and Napoli collapsing that much. They're so far clear. So well, I think like new say, levels of Napoli for that to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would be a bottle job. That would be an yeah, bottle yeah, job. Yeah. yeah. Like all time bottle job. Um but yeah I think I think they're pretty comfortable in second place. And like we we're saying about Arsenal, if you had a went to a Lazio fan to start a season and said you'll finish second in the league this season, they would have bet your hand off for it. So, yeah. yeah, great season for Lazio. And, uh, yeah, long may it continue under a great manager in Mauricio Sarri. Um, and on to another great manager. Probably, arguably, the best manager ever outside of Fergie. He might be the second best manager of all time. Maybe something have we have to, to do the site. Yeah. We probably do because, you know, this guy's he's different gravy. He's different gravy. Uh, and he's Carlo Ancelotti. And Sean, in at number three, is his team, Real Madrid. It's Real Madrid. You know, the team that you you think you got them beat, then you got to cut, you just got to cut the head off. They're not dead. You know, 
Chelsea, maybe maybe Chelsea helped out, helped out a little bit with that three-six-one formation. I don't know what Frank Lampard was thinking. Jesus Christ! Um, I don't think Frank Lampard knows what Frank Lampard's thinking either. To be honest, <laughs> his, re- his reasoning was this is the fittest team and also the most informed team. So I'm going to play my two like proper energetic box-to-box midfielders as number tens for pressing reasons. I guess I don't. I don't know. I don't know, Frank. You are an odd fellow. Um, but Real Madrid weathered a bit of a first half storm. You know, Kante did have a good chance. Cucurella had a good chance as well. Real Madrid came out for the second half, scored two goals, it's two beautifully worked goals as well. Other than that, and they're through. And there was there was an article I want to say it was on the Athletic earlier this week that was about um, Carlo doesn't get enough credit for the kind of his tactical tweaks that he just. He's seen as this guy. He's the great man manager, and that's kind of it. He just lets the players do what they want, and it's not. It's not necessarily the whole thing, you know. He, he made a big. They made a big point about how they used Vinicius and Camavinga on Reese James to kind of nullify him. How other players like were trying to um, lock down Enzo, and I think he gets he's a bit underrated in that regard. You know, it's very easy to just kind of just to look at all the big clubs and be like, oh, he's just the guy that keeps them together. You know, it's not just a matter of throwing eleven players together. You need to have some thinking. You know, Thing we talked about before about he's been around for so long to continue evolving tactically to continue like not going out of date with like not just the tactics but fitting in with the dressing room. You know, there was a the famous clip after the Champions League final last year. He's dancing with all the young Real Madrid players who clearly like they see him as this great guy. He's really kind of likable. He's really he's just the guy, the manager that you want to have. You, he's the guy that you want on your side, and he's perfect in the sense that. He'll make the little tweaks, but not like huge, mind-boggling kind of um, decisions. But he will also he'll always have the respect of his players. You know, you probably hard pressed to go back through his career and find one player who is ever angry at him. Yeah, everyone loves him, and rightly so. He's he's been an incredible manager for so long, and also like very forgotten. I think for maybe our generation and the next generation after us is. How great a footballer he was as well, and the fact that yeah, he, just, yeah. he won absolutely everything for uh, AC Milan during that golden era. He scored a really famous goal against Real Madrid, actually in a Champions League semi-final when they thumped Real Madrid at San Siro. So I think like he's taken that experience of being a winner at club level as a footballer and taken it on days and understood what makes footballers tick. And been able to bring that into his managerial. And like you said, um, it has been, I think, his whole legacy is, I think it'll always be defined as being a man manager. I think he's always going to be that first and like dealing with egos and personalities. But yeah, he has had that knack of having small tactical tweaks that have made huge differences. And it's mainly been, he's always kind of played round about the same formation, but he's very good at moving players around. In those formations, they suit the team they're playing uh, or just general talent levels. So uh, the prime example this season has probably been uh, Federico Valverde, um, who has played right wing quite a lot and then has dropped into midfield quite a lot as well. And then Camavinga has moved from midfield to fullback when needed and moved back into midfield. He's really great at left back this- yeah. <laughs> recently. Brilliant, yeah. He's made our team of the round for the Champions yeah. League. Which, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's been he's been incredible. He has the he has the skill set for it and started to build up a partnership with Vinicius. And it's it's down to Ancelotti that he's able to see like these potential partnerships and all. I think the one that really stands out long term, um, and 
is probably the Pirlo, the move back from Pirlo from being an attacking midfielder um, at Inter, and he was at Brescia before that. Um, the move back from him being attacking mid and that deep line playmaker role that he played in for so many years after that that was down to that was down to Ancelotti seeing something in him and and uh, having like that small tactical tweak like moving back five ten yards and he's all of a sudden arguably one of the greatest footballers of all time. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's that it's it's seeing those small things and those small things can make a huge difference at that top top level. You don't need a manager all the time who comes in and it was Potter's issue um yeah. all season as they would play a back three one week, they play a back four the next week, they play a false nine one week, they'd be playing a striker the next week and it's too many drastic changes. Whereas the great thing about Ancelotti is he comes in and retains continuity with just small changes here and there, but not enough changes that you have to like go in the dressing room and actively tell every player exactly where yeah. they should be and what they have to do before every single game. They kind of all know already. They're all high level, top level players. It's just a slightly different position on the pitch that they're doing it from. Hmm. So uh, where do you think, um, I think they're quite unlucky um, to be playing Mass City in the semifinals. I think they are side of the draw. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> slightly easier. Um, uh, who do you fancy going into that game? I know it's early doors. It's a few weeks away, but what, what does your head say about that game? The Man City Real Madrid well, semifinal. It's, it's these two kind of um, competing narratives which favour Madrid in that you can never write off Real Madrid until they're fully out and you can't depend on Manchester City to win the Champions League until they've actually done it. And that last year's semi-final was the complete bringing everything together, you know. Man City were the better team in the Bernabeu across the two legs by far. Um, they missed some late chances. Rodrigo gets one back. I don't think even Real Madrid fans are thinking, oh, we're going to get another. City just completely blurt from kickoff. Rodrigo scores another. And you know, I think everyone knew after that Madrid won an extra time. I did not have any faith that City were going to win that after that. So I think it would be a real testament to City to overcome that narrative. And I, I'm not taking, I don't think Madrid are going to be looked down upon if they don't win that. You know, I know they've had a disappointing season in La Liga, but we talked about it last week. That just happens with them sometimes. They're not a consistent La Liga team, they are the Champions League team. Um, Need a little, maybe need a couple of tweaks here and there. They do have a lot of veteran players. Maybe that'll be the kind of running narrative that they they do need just kind of a little more youth around those those experienced heads. Maybe someone like a Jude Bellingham. Maybe maybe a longer term replacement for Benzema up front. But they've been really impressive, and I'm not gonna. I'll be damned if I ever bet against Real Madrid in the Champions League. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat with it. Like you know. Looking at it like just like pound for pound uh, season so far, uh, talent, um, momentum, form, all that good stuff. I think it's pretty obvious to say it's Man City. They won that game, like just refer all that, but that's discounting the fact that Real Madrid are Real Madrid and the fact that they've been there so many times. Those players have been there so many times. We talked about it with Arsenal um, and we kind of seen it a bit with Napoli, um, the lack of real been there done that uh, vibes about the teams Real Madrid have that in space they have it more than perhaps any team has ever had it before they probably have it the only team that's probably ever had that amount of experience and big game winning experience 
has probably been the Real Madrid team that won like four or five in the bounce European Cups <laughs> yeah, back in like yeah. the 50s. Like that's the kind of level we're talking here with these players. And yeah, I can, can never bet against Real Madrid, but you know, it, the, the smart bet probably is City on paper. And The wrinkle three, now is that the second leg this year is at the Etihad rather than the Bernabeu. So. Yeah, that'll make a huge difference. So, well. um, the first game, uh, it feels like Real Madrid have to win that game yeah. 2 or 3 0, probably. And then defend for their lives. Yeah, which they're yeah. capable of. They are, yeah. they, that, they are capable of that, you know. And we've seen plenty of times where, um, you know, Guardiola's kind of got in the way of himself at times. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't feel like this is one of those seasons where he's going to actually do that. I think he's kind of the most settled he's been on a team. In an well, if, any, if anything, he's, gone to, he's, done it, he's done it all season and it's just now that he's finally kind of settled in it. He's like, I'm, yeah, yeah. It. I'm doubling down. Yeah, he's doubling down. Don't back down, double down. <laughs> um, but yeah, it feels like um, that's still a possibility. Like it, it's one of those ones where Pep Guardiola is still Pep Guardiola and Real Madrid are still Real Madrid. And if those two things converge and be each other, you might have a semi-final like you had last season. Um, but if these things don't converge and Man City be the Man City that they've been for the last like two, three months, then you would back Man City to win that game. Yeah. Yeah. So on the, the other semi-final and, you know, probably the favorites to get the final, I would say right now, um, from this well, yeah. side of the draw, yeah, is AC Milan, who are up to second this week after... I don't know where it ranks all time um, in terms of defensive performances in the Champions League, but um, over two legs um, against Napoli, uh, certainly one of the best that I've seen in the past five or 10 years, um, their defensive performance, yeah. they completely nullified arguably the most exciting uh, attacking team in Europe. I know they had a bit of a dip over the past month or so, but you look at the season as a whole, Napoli have been a complete joy to watch and it feels like Milan were able to pinpoint every single strength of their team and nullify every single one and that came from a lot of different things that came from Pioli who's done an incredible job and had almost nearly lost his job in about <laughs> the end of January mid Feb yeah. uh, things were not going well it was um, I had a wee feeling that Conte might end up going there um, at the end of the season, if they maybe just hold on for Pioli until the end of the season and get Conte, it looks like that. If they do that, that will be utterly insane Stupid. at this point. Yeah, <laughs> outrageous. Particularly then, after the last sixteen. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Conte completely got outclassed tactically by Pioli. Yeah, and Spalletti did as well um, in this quarterfinal. Um, Pioli knew exactly what. Napoli were going to be and what Spalletti wanted to do and was able to build a team that could nullify that and also um, kind of pinpoint some defensive weaknesses too and have Rafael Leao uh, exploit those and yeah, he definitely exploited them. i seen uh, you had the same thought as me, Sean. i seen your tweet um, the other day about Rafael Leao and yeah, you said that um, it reminded you of Bale in your run. No, no, Lennon. Way Lennon. back. Lennon, Lennon. He's stylistically more like Bale for sure, that he's got yeah. this kind of powerful stance and 
the way that he does breeze past players, but the assist reminded me of when Lennon was at San Siro against Milan and he ran 80 yards across the pitch, skipped past, last defender was Mario Yepes, just jumped over him and then cut it back for Crouch to score. It was almost the exact replica of that goal and it was in my head as I watched. I was like, I've seen this one before, actually. I think that was big for Leal because I wasn't too impressed by him in the last 16 games and I wasn't impressed by Milan in general when they came to Tottenham. But I think now I'm seeing it in a complete different light because in those two games, Milan matched up Spurs to go 3-4-3. Didn't do the same in these two games. Yeah, but um, four this time. Yeah, yeah. so I thought, oh, Pioli, little tactical wrinkle there. Yeah. Um, but Leal stepped up as well. Leal looks a lot more like the player that we know he can be, the guy who won the Serie A MVP last year as you know the best player on the team that won Scudetto. And he needed that, and I think, because... I know Kovarat Skelia missed the penalty, but everything that Napoli did good went through him. And I think yeah. that it was a kind of a real kind of, this is still my league, this is still my country, I'm still the guy here. Um, and now he has a chance to play, <laughs> play to go to a Champions League final, which would be massive for him. And it'd be massive for, you, you, you're putting him on the, that list than me, but surely it's a huge for Italian football, putting him back on the map, getting a full Italian semi-final and then at least one team in the final. 100%. I think uh, the league in general, maybe this season, there's been like real big troughs. I think the main one was probably when Milan were playing quite poorly, um, January, February time. I remember there was a Milan derby around that time. I think it was the first weekend of February. And yeah. I remember watching that game and thinking, my God, like this league has just gone to the dogs. This is, <laughs> these two teams are <laughs> terrible. Um, like Divock Origi, and no harm to Divock, like he scored uh, some very, very important goals for Liverpool. Um, back in the day, but he was starting in a Milan derby, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, what, there's a what reason I, that he was never a starter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a reason he's in him back sub. And I remember watching that game and thinking, "My god, this is bad." Um, it was right the time Juventus um, got that 15 point deduction and all as well, and it just felt like we're coming coming back to that kind of 2007-2008 time in Italy, where the league was just kind of no one trusted the league um, as a spectacle anymore, and a lot of players are starting to leave the league. I think that's the fact that, um, and I think Rafael is a prime example of this. Um, the Serie A has had a real issue with keeping their stars yeah, over yeah. the past like 10, 15 years since Calciopoli. And I think it felt like in January, Rafael's head was turned um, by all the talk about his future. And rightly so, there's been a lot of talk about his future. Like he's uh, one of the most exciting players and dynamic players in. Uh, in Europe and with the way he plays um, the comparison I was going to make to you Sean was um, he reminds me so much of Gareth Bale um, the year he was against Inter at San Siro and yeah. um, his first season at Real Madrid that kind of peak uh, Gareth Bale era where he was just bombing past people and had the quality of the end product as well they top it off he's very like that so I think he would really really be a perfect kind of Premier League footballer but now, when AC Milan, I think our favourites, they make a Champions League final. Um, this is, I think, this is the first time they've made a semi-final since two thousand seven, which is yeah. insane when you consider how many they've won. Game, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that in and of itself will make players like Rafael maybe think of staying 
at Milan for longer? Because when you look at the, the teams that he could go to, I think the most obvious one who will try to sign him and who will try to sign everyone in the world <laughs> is Chelsea. And yeah. when you look at, you know, Chelsea are 11th in the Premier League. They're not going to be in Champions League next year. They're not going to be in any European competition next year. Milan are sitting fourth in the league, yes. But they've looked really, really great in the Champions League. They're going to go and play in the Champions League final. And having the taste of that in Milan and at San Siro, at Champions League semi-final, two Champions League semi-finals at San Siro, I think so any, any footballer in the world dreams of doing that and dreams of doing it on those stages. And the fact I'm that Milan excited. have that have that stage is going to be a big lure for keeping Leal. And I, I do hope they keep him and I hope that um, the league overall benefits um, from this run. And maybe it makes people take a wee bit more notice of the league. I know the league was huge um, in the UK back when it was on Channel 4 and stuff. Maybe now when Napoli are playing Milan in the Serie A, more people will be like, I might watch that game. That might be quite good. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah, it feels like this is the moment they've come back. Do you remember for years when Milan and Inter weren't in the Champions League and it was like, oh, do you remember the good old days when they were in the Champions League? And they they kind of slowly came back. Uh, Inter came back in eighteen nineteen. Milan came back a couple of years later. It didn't really feel like they'd arrived. It was just a matter of they were getting to the group stage and then going out the first possible opportunity, really. Um now it does feel like wow, they can make are the, are the powerhouses back? Is the status quo about to kind of be reestablished? And I think it's not just for nostalgia reasons, but I think it's good because when you think about a player, like if an up and coming player wants to leave a club, they all get linked to Premier League clubs because Premier League clubs are just rich. And I don't, I don't like how that has become. I understand why that is the case, and I think it's good for the Premier League and it's good for English football and all this other stuff. But I don't, I don't like it being closed off, and the, I don't like the idea of these important clubs especially just being strapped for cash because of COVID or mismanagement just kind of we can't compete for this why why can't um, the champions of Italy and Champions League semi-finals be able to keep their best player why, yeah. why that doesn't make any sense to me it shouldn't in be theory, yeah in theory they, they, that should guarantee keeping players um yeah. i think it's good for players too in general because i think one of the big issues um in the past few years has been when a big player has looked to try to force a move i think kane's a really good example of this yeah there isn't that many places where a player can actually go yeah exactly and, yeah. and make a step up in some ways whereas like there's only so many steps up you can make in the premier league because there's only one team that can win it there's only four teams to get in the champions league right now um and it's nice that there's it seems like more avenues are opening for players like in all our teams. Like we look at um, Atletico Madrid uh, finding some form again and looking really, really good again. Um, AC Milan under uh, making Champions League semifinals for the first time in a long time. I think it's the first semifinal enter I've made since they won it. And it, like I yes, said, it's the first. Won. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 2007 as well. So it's it's nice. I think it's good for the players. It's good for Syria. It's good for just having more options to watch football on TV as well. And yeah, when you see a yeah. game, like I'm glad that this time round, when there's a Milan derby on, um, and for watching a good game of football in the semi final. Whereas mm. as recent as the start of February, I went on the uh, Milan derby and thought, what am I doing in my life? Why am I watching these two football games? 
Like yeah, I, yeah, I should exactly watch like League Two football instead of this. So yeah. it's it's great that that's come around. So it has, and yeah, I think I think Milan are going to probably stay in and around the top three in these power rankings for the rest of the season. And uh, you know, it's one of those ones where you know City are favourites they won the whole thing and favourites to get through against Real Madrid. But would it just be class they see Real Madrid play AC Milan in the Champions League final? Exactly. Like on paper, like that's 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 the dream. Like the two the two uh most winningest teams in European <laughs> Cup history playing each other for all the marvels this season. It would be great. I know the talent level and all I know AC Milan are going far in the Champions League this year, but they're not the team they were in 2007 and stuff from a talent perspective. But still, just the the romance of them two teams playing each other in the Champions League final yeah. would be joyous. So it would be incredible. I think I think the roadmap would be there to win. You know, if they can have the kind of defensive displays they did against Tottenham and Napoli, why can't they? They've they've kept. Oh no! Oh, that Elsman goal that was the first goal they conceded since Graham's part of Chelsea beat them. Yeah, yeah, that's the last time they can see it. Yeah, yeah. Two clean sheets against Spurs, one clean sheet against Napoli, and then 93rd minute, wherever it was, goal from Osimhen, that kind of ruined it. So they're a properly elite and offensive team. So there is there's a way they can win it, for sure. Speaking of how elite defensively is, I think it's we mm-hmm. should probably have this discussion um, about the goalkeeper, Mike Magnon. Is he the best goalkeeper in the world right now? Where was your rank him? We were debating this in the office yesterday, and we kind of came up with four top ones: Magnon, Thibaut Courtois, Marc Andre Ter Stegen, and Allison in a mix of kind of general quality and form. Yeah, there is something about Magnon. I'm just kind of it's an intriguing presence. He's not like massive, but when you kind of just see him in the goal, it's just like. I don't think the Milan are going to concede a goal. I think that he's going to fly and save everything. And that's the impression that's, I get as well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really kind of it's the same thing kind of Courtois has in the sense that he thinks well, he definitely thinks he's underrated in that sense. Um but now he he's getting a chance to compete on big stage to show that he can do this. You know, yeah. he Hugo was captain and he was always going to play, but if Magnon was fit for the World Cup to France win that final, maybe he probably saves a penalty at least. He probably does save a penalty, yeah. <laughs> so, save one penalty, yeah. that's maybe that's maybe all it needs, you know. Yeah. Um, but he, he's a he's a serial winning goalkeeper. He's in the Champions League semi final. He has a real chance to make that his own. He has a chance to become a household name because that's the next step, isn't it? It's yeah. not just about being, having that quality. It's about being in those circles where people know he, you. Yeah, it's good. It's good that he's um, in the conversation now. So does I think that's definitely yeah. a great start um, for him. And you know, if they make a Champions League final, and you would expect France to go quite far in Euro twenty twenty four too. You know, yeah. we could be talking next summer that he's like definably the best. I think, like you said, the thing I get with him is his demeanor and presence in goal. Where. I get the impression that he's never going to concede a goal ever. Like I, yeah. even when when Kovarsvelia went up to hit that penalty, you see with like XG for penalties and all, like I, it's always favourable to an attacker in that situation. And in that situation with Kovarsvelia, one of the better players in Europe this season, stepped up for a penalty against Mike Manuel. There was no word that I seen him scoring that <laughs> and Manuel yeah. not saving it. He just yeah. has that aura at the minute, and it's not it's not really something you see 
a lot from goalkeepers. I think Allison had it a few years ago where it just felt yeah, like he would absolutely. never concede a goal again. And Courtois had it at times over the past couple of years as well. And it feels like out of anyone in Europe right now, I think he has that presence. And when they go into that game in the Champions League semi-final, I will once again think he's definitely not conceding a goal. And also, like in general, just shout out to the rest of the Milan backline. I think um, Tamori's been amazing. Um, will he ever be amazing enough to get ahead of Harry Maguire in the England squad? <laughs> I he don't does. know, man. He does. <laughs> Maybe if one's a Ballon d'Or. Maybe. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, and then um, Davide Calabria. Incredible. Um, if they come up against a Real Madrid in the final, um, him against Vinicius would be a brilliant battle. So it would. And he's the type of player that Calabria loves playing against and we'll have those one-on-one exchanges with and it'll be a really exciting thing. And also, um, Simon Kier, uh coming back from that horrific injury last season has come back and added that thing that we were talking about that Arsenal don't have in their back line. Added like a, a cool head and a calmness and a bit of experience in there. And when you look at him last night, oh no, Tuesday night, sorry, and you look at him last week and you look at him against Tottenham and things, you can't help but look at him and think, could Arsenal have like, went and just had a wee nosy and seen if they could get him yeah. during January? Why things weren't going as well for Milan? Yeah, it's, it's definitely just come back a year that kind of commanding presence. He he was good against Spurs. He came, I think he only played the first leg, I think he only played, but he mm-hmm. was... He was a big reason why Spurs didn't get anything. Just came away with chump change. Yeah. So, Sean, we're down to number one here. And I'm sure everyone can guess who it is and who it might be for the rest of the season. Yeah. And the rest of time, we'll yeah. find out. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like anyone's going to get close to them anytime soon. It's uh, Manchester City again, Sean. Mm. Just keep rolling, you know. Um, they had a couple of scares this week, to be fair, but they did manage to kind of ride them. Uh, they... Went into a huge lead early on against Leicester. Nearly threw away late on. The Leicester could see, um, scored one, sorry. And City almost endeavoured to try and open that door to them, make it a little bit more interesting after they brought all their good players off. Got away with that. Um, went to Bayern last night. Bayern had a lot of the ball. They had a lot of kind of half chances. And this, I think this is where I want to give some City some credit in that I'm not, I'm not giving them credit for not blowing away a 3-0 lead. But in the past... In these big games, one of those half chances would have gone in, and they would have been looking around at themselves, thinking, "Oh, what's going on?" They get, get a little bit tetchy, um, but you know, it wasn't until the penalty late in the second half, which was a complete dubious penalty, at least, that City were really in trouble. Like the Bayern were looking to hit them on transition on the counter, and yet they like City like gave them like enough space to believe that they were going to do something. And they just never did. I think the only mm-hmm. real chance they had was when Sani um, went through and he dinked over Edison and went wide. But that was the only chance, really. Yeah. Goretzka had a couple of chances. Chupamurti was in the box, but couldn't really find some space for himself. Um, and that's just where City have improved. And I think that's where this formation helps them in that they ca- they have a lot of more physical players at both ends so they can play on the counter and they can also defend counters. And that feels like, damn, maybe Pep did sell football after all. I know it just feels that way at the minute, doesn't it? It just and like yeah. you said about um, limiting Bayern, like I think um, what's been massively overrated a lot in football the past few years has been the possession stat and looking at it and being like, oh my god, 
this team lost, but they had 70% possession. And it's like, okay, yeah. well, if you look at what are you how doing many shots it? on target they had, <laughs> how many big chances they had, they probably had like maybe one or two. And it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's using possession the right way. And um, the thing of Man City, I think they've probably learned from other teams playing against them um, over the past few years, and them is dominating the ball, yeah. is how they um, limit teams to just those half chances. Is like, yeah, you, you can you can give up a shot. And Sani had a lot of them in both legs. They were giving up these efforts from goal from like 30 yards and stuff. And it's like, okay, we'll give you this, but you're not having a strike on goal inside the box. And that's where the percentages lean in his favor if he's having a shot inside the box. Whereas outside the box, you've a very quality goalkeeper. You're relying on something pretty, really special from the player himself. They score from there. And, you know, it, playing those percentages is something that Man City have done really, really well in, in recent weeks. And it's, I think it's quite scary for the rest of Europe that they're able to now play in two ways. Whereas before it felt like they had one speed and it was really slow and methodical, prodding and keeping the ball and dinking it in behind as and when. But like you said, the physicality they have at both ends now, the pace on the break that they have with Haaland and, you know, Haaland's probably the best counter-attacking footballer in the world. And he plays for Man City, um, who usually have the ball. But in those games where the, they're under the cosh, uh, like the games against Bayern. And I thought Hallant was probably the best player on the pitch for both games. Um, mm-hmm. He's a lot in terms of hold-up play, passing the ball off, and just like real eagerness to get him behind and score goals. And I know he only scored two goals in those legs, and they'll, they'll be all their... Uh, Champions League quarterfinals, I'm sure, and the years but they'll score six over two legs. But just in terms of like overall performance, I thought he, he was exceptional and has given Man City this extra dimension. So that say when they're playing against Real Madrid and they're struggling a wee bit for the ball and they're a wee bit under the cosh, you know that at any time Man City get the ball, they can now transition a lot quicker than they could before without a Haaland and. He is so devastating when those transitions are that quick that it might be their best avenue to score goals now, which yeah. is insane because for how long <laughs> it's been for Pep teams where the best avenue to score goals is by keeping the ball and just like drilling teams and wearing them down over time. Whereas now they have the other dimension as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, just that they completed it. Well done. Yeah. Well done, Pep. You spent 200 billion. You finally did it. I hope you're happy. But, but, but obviously, there's a mental thing to overcome in that they do need to win the Champions League. In that, and to get there, they're going to have to get past Real Madrid, and then past a, def- a team that will defend for their lives in either Milan or Inter. So, yeah, yeah. It's not done, but they're in a good position. They should win everything. If they don't they win everything, they Sean, should. is it a bottle? <laughs> <laughs> I will say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Massive bottle. Massive bottle. Yeah. Um, Right, so that's our top ten this week. I think it's quite a good top ten. All in, it's gonna. I think it's gonna change quite a lot next week um, because there's some seriously big games on this weekend. Yeah. Uh, there's plenty of teams we're looking out for in the coming days. Sean, uh, who are those teams we're looking out for over the weekend and Thursday night? Well, we'll start with the team that we were hoping would make it in this week, but didn't make it in. By Leverkusen. Mm-hmm. Jabby Alonso's got something going on there, but they didn't win at the weekend. And I don't know, it just feels like one of those ones either going to draw every week and we're going to have them in this section. And it's going to be, oh, maybe Bayer Leverkusen can do it. And it's like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to do it. Um, <laughs> it's like the theme of Bayer Leverkusen's history. Yeah, 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 Leverkusen, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Modern day Leverkusen, yeah. <laughs> um, 
Also looking out at Roma, we mentioned them earlier when we talk about Feyenoord. You know, they have a real chance to get to the Europa League semi-finals. It seems like they might finish in the top four in Serie A. You know, starting to make, get, make a little headway on that. Yeah, pulling a bit of form out of nowhere now. I think they've won yeah. three on the bounce, I think, now. Yeah, so, yeah looking yeah. a lot better. Got Man United, who've rediscovered some form again, finding their groove again, welcoming some players back from injury. I know that they just lost Lisandro Martinez for the season, but Ericsson's back, Rashford's back, Shaw's back. So you'd expect them to go through against Sevilla in the Europa League. And then well, we talked about earlier the FA Cup semi final. If they can do that against Brighton, I'd be, I would be impressed at this point in the amount of games they've played this season. Same, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really tough game, that one. Um, did you see the Man United game at the weekend, the one against Forest? Like, I saw you the highlight. Yeah, I was watching the Barcelona game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah they, they, you know, Eric, Ericsson was amazing, so he was again. and He's he seen how much they miss him. So over the next couple yeah. of weeks when he's in the team, they'll, they'll look a lot better and they'll... They'll end up on this list at some point, I imagine. Yeah, they're Manchester United. So. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of those, um, we have um, two teams going head to head tonight that we'll be keeping an eye on. Uh, we got Juventus and Sporting Lisbon or Sporting CP for all those ones who hate what people call Sporting Lisbon. <laughs> um, yeah, whoever wins that tie probably does make this list next week. Um, also, kind of dependent on Juventus playing Napoli. At the weekend, um, Napoli have had a wee bit of a funk recently. Um, Juventus have been in a funk for about four years. Um, so, which funk will be worse? We'll find out at the weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, and last but not least is one of the Champions League semi finalists. And it feels weird that they're, I think they're the only Champions League semi finalist that didn't make the cut. I think they're the only Champions League finalist that didn't make the Top three <laughs> this <laughs> week. I just looked at the list. How do you get the top ten? Oh. I don't know. Can you get the they top ten? Des- they deserve it. They're not worthy yet. You got to earn yeah, it. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, they. You know, good results against Benfica, but for how bad they've been in Syria recently, it just we could not justify it. They haven't won a game in Syria since I think the start of March. I want to say um, it's been a long time. Um, and yeah, they haven't looked good. They haven't looked capable of scoring goals. Lukaku looks terrible. Um, it's all looking really, really bad. And then somehow they made the Champions League semi final. Uh, and yeah, we'll find out how that goes in the coming weeks. But yeah, if they can, if they can be buoyed and g'd up a bit by making that Champions League semi final, then they might make yeah. it in next week. We'll we'll see. We'll yeah. have a nosey. See how they get on. Yeah. Okay. I think that's enough for one week. I think I think we've we've run long this week again. I think this is going to be a common theme <laughs> of this podcast. You need to set a timer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, if you describe the Pirates podcast in one word, it's long. It's very long. Just get carried away, you know. Talk about you know Brighton going the FA Cup, you know. Oh, I'm getting excited. Uh, talking about Matt Doherty, Evan Ferguson. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Understandable. Yeah. So, Sean. We will leave it there and we will see everyone next week.